we get back to our series on the life of David, I just want to say thank you, Wheaton Bible Church, for praying for our daughter, Kyle. Uh, Kyle was miraculously delivered from death a little over four weeks ago, actually four weeks ago this last Friday. Kyle, had a, uh, Kyle lives in Long Beach, California with her husband, Eric. Kyle had a normal pregnancy and a, a, a really a normal delivery. But about 15 minutes after little Elliot was born, Kyle started to bleed. I mean, she started to really bleed. She started to hemorrhage. And uh, she went into total hemorrhagic shock. As a matter of fact, to make a long story short... She lost 120% of her blood in just a matter of a few minutes. And she had to undergo two life-saving surgeries just to keep her uh, alive. Unfortunately, one of them was a hysterectomy. Elliot was her first child. She won't be able to have any uh, more children. Uh, but now, four weeks later, Kyle, our daughter, little Elliot, they're, they're doing really well. Kyle's still recovering. It's going to be a while uh, because uh, so much in her body uh, went south so quickly. But I, what I want to say to you is thank you, thank you, church, for praying. Uh, we had hundreds couple thousand people here at the church alone praying, other people praying. As a matter of fact, um, one of the cool stories is on Kyle's last day in the hospital, um, one of the medical staff came in. This happened over and over. And she said, Kyle, my name's Yolanda. I'm the charge nurse. And one of the charge nurses in the operating room, I was there when they took you from labor and delivery into the operating room. And um, she said, I just had to come and see you. Now, the surgery was on Friday. This was Thursday, six days later. And she said, I know a lot of people didn't think you were going to live, but I want to tell you a story. She said, I asked your husband when things were starting to go south um, what his religious affiliation was. She said, we have to be a little careful here at Kaiser Permiente. But he said to me, well, we're Christians. She said, I'm a Christian. We are deeply committed to praying in the operating room. We've got two other OR nurses that pray. And I want you to know, as you were wheeled into the operating room, we laid hands on you and prayed right there. Now, how cool is that? And she said, this was on Friday. It was off on the weekend. I had a couple days off, and here it is Thursday, and I just had to come back and see you. But I want you to know, God gave me an increasing conviction as the week went on that you were going to live. And I was going to be able to see you and tell you this story. So I want to say to you guys this morning, man, I love you. Thank you uh, for standing with us. Thank you for your prayers. And really, to God be the glory, right? To God be the glory. Now, grab your Bible or turn on your Bible. Grab a Bible in front of you. And we're going to go to the fascinating Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 21. If you're grabbing a Bible in front of you, it's around page 290 or so, depending on the edition. There are moments in all of our lives when things go dark, when we get fearful, when things get desperate. It can be a seemingly uh, little or innocent thing, like maybe you get lost, and suddenly you're lost and you're panicked. 
Or maybe it's a, a roommate. Uh, she's been living with you for a couple years and she comes to you and says, hey, I'm going to move on. I'm going to go live on my own. On the one hand, no big deal. But on the other hand, as you process that, man, you're panicked. You're fearful. What am I going to do? Uh, there's sometimes uh, little things or, or, or medium-sized things, and then there's sometimes the big things like what Rhonda and I just went through with Kyle. I see you for four days not knowing if she's going to make it. And um, God brings those things into our lives to change us and to, and to shape us. Uh, today, we resume our series on the life of David, the, this amazing story uh, of David. And we come to two chapters, chapter 21 and chapter 22, that uh, on the one hand are, are crazy cool, and on the other hand are crazy gruesome. But underneath them, underneath both of these chapters, there's this thing going on called fear. And we've been talking about that a little, and I want to talk about it again today. So let's read beginning in verse 1 of chapter 21. David went to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he met him and asked, Why are you alone? Why is no one with you? Now one day, a day is coming when David's going to make Jerusalem the, the capital of Israel. That won't come until 2 Samuel. That's not this day. Uh, Shiloh used to be the spiritual nerve center. The tabernacle was there. You can go to Israel today and, and see where the tabernacle was. It's as clear as if it was there yesterday. Uh, but Shiloh was destroyed, and then the tabernacle was moved to Nob. And Nob, at this moment in David's life, is the spiritual nerve center of Israel. It's about two miles north of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is Jerusalem, doesn't even exist now. And it's where the tabernacle was. It was where the priests lived. It was a little village, but it had a spiritual impact in Israel way out of proportion to its size. So let's pick it up in verse 2. David asked the priest, Ahimelech, the king charged me with a certain matter and said to me, actually David answered Ahimelech, and he said, no one is to know anything about your mission and your instructions. As for my men, I have told them to meet me at a certain place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me the five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. But the priest answered David, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there is some consecrated bread here, provided the men have kept themselves from women. David replied, indeed, women have been kept from us as usual whenever I set out. The men's things are holy even on missions that are not holy. How much more so today? So the priests gave him the consecrated bread. Since there was no bread there except the bread of the presence. Twelve loaves every Sabbath, fresh loaves were placed on this table just uh, opposite the Holy of Holies to symbolize God's provision for the twelve tribes for Israel that was called the bread of the presence. But they're removed and replaced weekly by the hot bread on the day it was taken away. Now one of Saul's servants was there that day detained before the Lord. He was Doeg the Edomite, Saul's head shepherd. Some want to say actually a better translation is Saul's chief of security. I'm not sure about that, though. David asked Ahimelech, don't you have a spear or sword here? I haven't bought my sword or any other weapon because the king's business was urgent. The priest replied, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed, 
in the Valley of Ella is here. It is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it. There is no sword here but that one. David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. And that day David fled from Saul and went to Ashish, the king of Gath. Now let's jump to chapter 22. We're going to skip some uh, earlier verses. When we come to verses 6, 7, and 8, Saul, the king, is ranting. He's ranting because he's upset that his soldiers have not yet killed John, or, uh, well, I don't know about Jonathan, but at least David. He's furious at Jonathan. He's furious at David. Deeply insecure. We've been talking about that. Let's pick it up in verse 9, and we'll see how bad it was. But Doag, the Edomite, who was standing with Saul's officials, said, I saw the son of Jesse come to Ahimelech, uh, the son of Hightub, at Nob. Ahimelech inquired of the Lord. He also gave him provisions and the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. Then the king sent for the priest Ahimelech, son of Ahitub, and his father's whole family, who were the priests at Nob, they all came to the king. Saul said, Listen now, son of Ahitub. Yes, my lord, he answered. Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, giving him bread and a sword and acquiring God for, of God for him, so that he has rebelled against me and lies in wait for me as he does today? Now Saul is a sick man. David is not lying in wait for him. He is so twisted. He is so lost. I'll come back to that. Ahimelech answered the king, Who of all your servants is as loyal as David? The king's son-in-law, captain of your bodyguard, and highly respected of your household. Was that day the first time I inquired of God for him? Of course not. Let not the king accuse your servant or any of his father's family, for your servant knows nothing at all about this whole affair. But the king said, You will surely die, Ahimelech, you and your father's whole family. And beginning in verse 17, Saul directs the Israelite soldiers, the military, to kill the high priest. They won't. So pick it up in verse 19, 18. Rather. The king then ordered Doeg, you turn and strike down the priests. So Doeg the Edomite turned and struck them down. That day he killed 85 men who wore the linen ephod. That is, they were priests. He also put to sword Nob the town of the priest, with its men, its women, its children, its infants, its cattle, its donkeys, and its sheep. He wiped it out. Verse 20. But Abiathar, a son of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, escaped and fled to join David. He told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. Then David said to Abiathar, that day when Doeg, the Edomite, was there, I knew he would be sure to tell Saul... I am responsible for the death of your father's whole family. Stay with me. Don't be afraid. The man who is seeking your life is seeking mine also. You will be safe with me. Now, what I want to do is I want to make two observations about David, talk about David's fear. Then I want to make one observation about Saul, talk about Saul's fear. Then I want to conclude by talking about the antidote antidote to fear that's embedded actually in this passage. So observation number one about David. And it's this. The fear makes you dishonest. Be careful. Fear has a way of making you dishonest. Beginning in chapter 21, for the next 10 chapters, uh, David is on the run from Saul. Saul wants to kill him. Now, David has been anointed king in, in secret. 
Saul is the reigning king. Saul is horribly insecure, does not uh, see life apart from being on the throne. So he tethers his identity to the throne. He can't give it up. And he begins this insanity. And as a result, what does he want to do? He wants to kill God's anointed David. And so for the next 10 chapters, which really represent 10 of the best years of young David's life, David is on the run. God is testing David. God is troubling David. David will be suffering in the wilderness as he flees over and over for his life. Now, why does God do this? God does this so that David might be worth something when he becomes the king. You go back earlier in the Old Testament and you discover that when Israel as a nation leaves Egypt, Israel spends 40 years in the wilderness before Israel ever gets to the promised land. Why? Well, in large measure, God is testing Israel. There's some punishment going on, but God is testing Israel. Then you fast forward to the New Testament, and before Jesus begins his public ministry, Jesus is sent into the wilderness, this same wilderness, and God tests him, not for 40 years, but for 40 days. And Jesus is perfect, blameless, and pure. God tests Israel. God tests David. God tests Jesus. God tests his people. He he puts them through setbacks, difficulty, adversity. And if God is doing this in the Old Testament, the New Testament, I want you to know, men and women, you students, God will do this to you. God will do this to you. Now, our passage doesn't come out and say this. It's not overt here Uh, But David is gripped by fear. David is fearful. So, for example, it's hinted at in verse 10 of chapter 21, where we are told David fled. He flees because he's scared to death of Saul. And where does he go? He flees to Gath. Now, this is crazy because Gath was a Philistine city, not an Israeli city. And the Philistines were the arch enemies of the Jews. And furthermore, Gath was the hometown of Goliath. And David, just a couple of chapters earlier, it killed Goliath. And the, and the Jewish army destroyed a large segment of the Philistine army. And here David is fleeing to Gath, right into the heart of the enemy, Goliath's hometown. The only possible explanation for that is David was way too scared, so scared for his life that he had to get out of Israel. He's gripped by fear. By fear. And so when you go to verse 1 of chapter 21, not surprisingly, uh, Ahimelech sees David and Ahimelech is is shaking. He's trembling because he knows that things have fallen out that have gotten bad between Saul and David. He doesn't want to get caught in the middle. He will get caught in the middle. And whether to protect Ahimelech, the priest, or to protect himself, David lies. Actually, there's a series of lies in chapter 21. He says, I'm on a mission from the king. He's not on a mission from the king. He's running from the king. 
Now, David is a godly man, a deeply godly man. But fear is a cancer that eats at the integrity of even the godly. And one of the ways you can tell you're fearful, one of the ways you can tell you're insecure, one of the ways you can tell uh, you're not trusting God is that you lie. You distort. You misrepresent. You shade. Now, addicts do this all the time. But David teaches us even the godly succumb. You see, ultimately, you and I don't have a dishonesty problem. We have a fear problem. Fear keeps us from giving. I'm talking financially. Because we really don't believe God will take care of us. Fear is what keeps us from speaking up about Jesus Christ in our neighborhoods, uh, where we work, where we go. Uh, uh, Because we're fearful that people are going to reject us. And fear keeps us from telling the truth. And it has a way of making us dishonest. And we're no longer open. We're no longer authentic. And here, fear is attempting to master David. It will attempt to master you. Don't let it. (laughs) Nip it in the bud. Uh, Commit yourself to be honest in all circumstances at all times. Observation number two. Uh, Let me personalize this. State it in in terms of us. State it um, applicationally. In in spite of your fear, in in spite of your fear, be a person that runs to God. In the midst of David's fears, in spite of his fears or because of his fears, David, in chapter 21, runs to God. Nob was where the sanctuary was. It it, it was where God met with his people. It was where the tabernacle and the priests were. The consecrated bread is there because it was part of the, the experience of the tabernacle. Now, David doesn't have any food. David doesn't have any, any weapons. David is scared to death. But the first place he goes is to the sanctuary. He goes to God. If you go to chapter 22 and verse 10, you discover that Doag says he was there uh, to inquire of God. He went to seek of God. Five verses later in chapter 22 and verse 15, Ahimelech the priest said this was a habit of David's. David regularly came to inquire of God. David, in other words, went to the tabernacle to seek God, to say, God, where do you want me to go? God, what do you want me to do? Uh, God, Saul is hounding me, pounding me. Uh, How can I survive? Frankly, I find this remarkable, don't you? David's desperate. The man is fleeing for his life. On the one hand, he's so overwhelmed, he lies. But on the other hand, he wasn't too rushed. He wasn't too busy to go to God. Now, yes, David was a mixed bag. Fear on one hand, faith on the other. But we're all mixed bags. That's exactly how we all are. 
And yet David, in spite of his fear or because of his fear, knew that the most important thing he could do was slow down and go to God. God, this is crazy. God, this is a crisis. Uh, God, I can barely breathe. But God, I, I, I need you to speak to me. And he goes to the sanctuary. He goes to Nob. Now, there will be days in your life where you will be pushed to the brink of existence. You will feel crushed. You will feel overwhelmed. You will feel like you're drowning. You will feel like you're choking. It will get dark and you will uh, despair and you will be so full of anxiety and fear and you will feel like you should just give up. You will have days like that. For Rhonda and me, it was just four weeks ago. I mean, I'm in the ICU. My daughter is strapped down. She's got everything in the planet in her body, hooked up to everything. She can't move. She's like in a straitjacket. And I'm thinking, oh, great. Eight years ago, I lost her mother. Now am I going to lose my daughter? And it was bad. It was dark. We'll all have experiences like that. And, and like David, uh, we have no weapons. We, we have no provisions. We're not equal to our problems. We're not equal to our problems. But we have the living God who is. And like David, when we seek him, when we stop and we get on our knees and we pray, when uh, we open God's word, and for me in those moments, it's going to the Psalms. When I'm, when I'm hammered, man, all roads lead to the Psalms. And we say, God, speak to me. And he does. And we discover a spiritual energy, a, a, a spiritual backbone, a, a, a peace and a calmness that enables us to keep on. All of us have fears. All of us live in a world that is hostile to our faith at different points. But not all of us go to the sanctuary, even as the people of God. And so I want to ask you this morning, where's your knob? Where's your sanctuary? Uh, where do you go when it gets dark? Where do you go to inquire of God? David knew he couldn't overcome on his own. He knew he had to go to God. Do you get that? Do you get that? By the way, according to chapter 21, verse 7, David wasn't the only man in the sanctuary that day. Doag was there also. Now, we don't know why Doag was there. It says he was detained before the Lord. But what we do know is that he wasn't pursuing God. I mean, in a few days, he's going to murder all the priests. He's going to destroy the whole town. 
So what I want you to think about is think about it this way. David or Doag was a church attender who had no interest in God. Uh, he attended for the show, not for the substance. Uh, for Doag, uh, the sanctuary apparently wasn't a place to go to, to uh, uh, authentically come before God in, in humility. It, it wasn't a, a, a place to go to hear a word from God. It, it, it was a place to go for cover. It was a place to go to spy. It was a place to go for career advancement. David and Doag both attended the same church. But for two very different reasons. Why? Why do you attend church? All right, let me leave David. Let me go on to Saul. And let me make this point pretty quickly. Uh, David isn't the only one that's struggling with fear here. I mean, Saul's really struggling with fear. And, and the observation I want to make is uh, when we look at Saul's life, what we discover is fear left unchecked, man, will destroy you and it will destroy the others around you. Uh, so, so fear is a poison that if we keep drinking it, it will kill us. And that's the story of Saul. We've been talking about this for some weeks for David, fear was a temporary thing. For Saul, it was a permanent thing. For David, it was a piece of his life. For Saul, it dominated his life. So go back to the end of verse 13 in chapter 22. And notice Saul says, David is lying in wait for me. That's crazy. Saul's delusional. And then in the rest of the chapter, he orders the priest to be executed, the village to be destroyed, because he is so fearful, because he's, he's tied his significance, his identity to the throne, to his circumstance, to his job. And if he loses the throne, he feels like he loses himself. What's so terribly, horrifically ironic here is that Saul lost the kingdom back in chapter 15 because he refused to obey the command of God. God had said to him, Saul, these are our enemies. They've been our enemies, the Amalekites, for centuries. It's time to judge them. I want you to destroy them. And Saul didn't do it. But here in our chapter, in chapter 22, Saul puts to death all the spiritual leaders of Israel, the priests. He won't destroy the enemies of God. He'll destroy the spiritual leaders of his own nation. Saul is lost. Saul is on his way to hell. Self-deception. I've been talking about self-deception some in this series. Self-deception is hiding truth from yourself because it's too painful. And fear and self-deception and envy and, and jealousy, all those things, man, uh, they, they collide and left unchecked, they'll destroy you. And along the way, you will destroy others. And what we have here in chapter 22 with the death of these priests is actually a foreshadowing of Israel turning against Jesus.
who, like the priests, was innocent, although Jesus was perfect and pure and completely innocent. And Israel demanding that Pilate put Jesus to death. So David's struggling with fear. Saul is being destroyed by fear. And now I want to conclude. I want to land this thing by asking, what's the antidote to fear here? And the answer, according to our passage, is that the antidote is Jesus Christ. The antidote to your fear is Jesus Christ. Look at the last paragraph of chapter 22. Here in this paragraph, one of the sons of Ahimelech, the priest, escapes, Abiathar. And he comes to David. Can you imagine how shaken he is? He's just seen 85 of them wiped out. He's the sole survivor. And David takes him in. And here in this last paragraph, this beautiful last paragraph, David says two things I want you to see. First thing he says is, I'm responsible for this. David takes responsibility for the death of the priest. Look at David's language. Look at the wording. David says, I'm responsible. David says, it's on me. David says, it's my fault. His honesty and his courage, um, without any shred of self-pity here, is remarkable. This is one of the great statements in 1 Samuel of psychological and spiritual health. Because typically when bad things happen to us, man, we say it's his fault, it's her fault, it's your fault. We point fingers. David says, it's not Saul's fault. David says, this is my fault. He could have blamed Saul. Rightfully, I would argue. Healthy, godly people own their stuff. We own the mistakes and the sins we commit. And all of us make mistakes and all of us sin. Healthy, godly people don't pretend. In Psalm 86, I've been reading Psalm 86 every day for the last couple of weeks. It begins, David is now likely the king in Psalm 86. It begins by David saying, oh Lord, I'm poor and needy. Who talks like that? David's the king. Oh, Lord, I'm poor and needy. David saw himself before God as poor and needy. Healthy men, healthy women, healthy students see themselves as poor and needy before the living God. And it causes them to cling to God's grace. David says something else here. He says the second thing that I want to say to you is even more beautiful. Because to Abiathar, he says, hey, stay with me. Don't be afraid. You'll be safe with me. Now Saul, in verse 16, has just said, I'm going to kill you. David says to the one remaining priest, you are safe with me. And when David says that, he pictures Jesus Christ. 
He points to Jesus Christ. He points to the love revealed in the table, the Lord's table. You see, Jesus Christ went to the cross and died the death we deserve to die. Died in our place for our sins to offer us complete and total forgiveness, amnesty, uh, to make us righteous in the sight of God and to give us unimaginable splendor for eternity in heaven. It's a gift of God's grace. It's God's one-way love, his gracious love. It's why he sent Jesus to the cross. It's what we celebrate in the Lord's table. In the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, what is Jesus saying to us? Jesus is saying, come to me, you'll be safe with me. And when David says that, I want you to hear Jesus saying that. Jesus is the greater David. David points to Jesus. There are a million things in life that can make you fearful. There is only one thing that will enable you to trump those fears. And that is resting in the safety and the security of the one who loves you so much. He died on the cross in your place and for your sins. Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And it's rescuing in that safety, that that security that frees us up to relax in those dark places. Jesus Christ died to deliver you from fear, a life of fear. And Jesus comes to you in the cross and says, stay with me, don't be afraid. You are safe with me. And if you are here today and you know Jesus Christ, man, I want you to cling to Jesus. If, however, you are on the front end of your spiritual journey, you haven't come to Christ, I want to appeal with you to come to Jesus because he alone brings you safety. Let's pray.